Welcome to HR Latte, your podcast connection to all things HR. Caring for people is imperative for today's progressive business. Listen in as Rayanne Thorne Kruger gets personal with practitioners and technologists, experts and thought leaders who care about the world of human resources, hiring and employee engagement. And now, sit back and sip your next cup of talent management, blended to perfection. Hey, everybody. Welcome to HR Latte. This is Rayanne Thorne Kruger, your host. I'm really excited to introduce my guest, Benjamin McCall. Benjamin is a principal consultant with Focus Consulting, and I think he has another gig also. But let me introduce him. Hey, Benjamin, (laughs) thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Rayanne. I appreciate the time and I appreciate you having me on. So great to have this opportunity to chat with you a little bit more. Many know that I refocused on HR Latte about a year ago and have made a commitment to talk specifically about diversity and DEIB efforts. So I would love for you to tell us first a little bit about yourself and your work. Yeah, my name is Benjamin McCall, of course. I've worked in the field of human resources and organization development and training for roughly 20 years, which always makes me feel old when every year I tag onto that. <laughs> you know, got my start as an HR generalist, as anyone would, you know, whether it be recruiting or benefits and compliance, and then got into training organizational development. And over the last 10 years, mostly of my career, really focused on leadership development. And even in my consulting practice, it focuses in three areas, really consulting, which anything from strategic development to to audits and culture evaluation and succession planning and programs and how, how it fits into the business to the training side, which is everything from DEI to leadership development to communication, conflict, and working through that human aspect within the work that we do, whether it's public and private, profit, nonprofit into the third aspect, which is coaching. And I look at coaching, you know, there's all different types of coaches, but I look at coaching as in you meet someone where they are. So if someone needs coaching, it's within the business. It could be around the business. It could be for them, but always there's a center around what the person needs, not only within the work that they do, but also within the life that they live. Because whether we like it or not, our lives are mixing, whether we have work-life balance or not. And that balance is not always balanced. Sometimes it's imbalanced. And we work through that. So really that coaching, consulting, and training is a focus of what I do. On the DEI side, I kind of like to tell partners and colleagues and whenever I talk to someone, especially over the last five years and really three, where diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging has really started to heat up. Right. Some of us have been doing this work for years before it had this name, before it became popular. So for me, it's really about starting out with how do we build bridges? Because when you work with individuals, there will be plenty of times where someone wants to talk about this thing. They don't want to talk about it. You bring up the subject and they can't wait to talk about it. But ultimately, when it comes to DEI and that work, especially in the workplace, people don't necessarily have to because not necessarily it's not necessarily that it's not encouraged. It's just there's other focuses. And I think with A lot of the things that have happened in our world with social justice, with school shootings, with a lot of inequities that are happening in the community as a result of COVID, that has been brought out and that has been brought up a lot more as a result. Companies are getting more involved. So a lot of the work that I've been doing as well over the last two years, especially through COVID, has worked through that to understand, to build bridges, 
yeah. and, and to build understanding. And then we could tackle the darker, deeper and more emotional things that come with it when we're in the workplace. So that's a little bit about myself. Above all, I am a father and two sons. Uh, try to be the most loving husband I can oh. and enjoy a lot of things outside because we all have lives to live. So I like to live it. And, you know, work does spill over into life. It is part of who we are as much as we want to keep it set. Well, I don't like to keep it separate because I take what I learn in the workplace and apply it to my life. And one of the greatest things I've ever learned has been from individuals like you that are talking about diversity, that have been talking about it forever, not just in the last few years, right? Yeah. So let's hit on it a little bit. We've got diversity in the workplace. And you touched a little bit about this, but I've been talking about it for a year now, the performative versus the real action. And I think you call it intent versus facade, right? So what is the current state of that intent versus facade? It's interesting because I think it's evolving, right? In my mind and from my perspective and in conversations, everything's about moments. You know, you think about major moments in your life, the birth of your children, birthdays, weddings, major events within your your life. And it's no different within the workplace or within the actions, whether it be within the workplace, how we treat each other and differences, how we understand diversity, how we outlay equity and inclusion. But with COVID, it's kind of extrapolated a lot. Right. And many people don't necessarily want to bring COVID too much. They People want to get past it, move on. And I completely think that's fine. But at the same time, you have to realize the impact of a storm that leaves either devastation or comfort for people because that still lives at least for a while. It doesn't go away. So when we think about diversity in the workplace and the intent versus the side, I look at the intent of Over the last couple of years, many people, especially 2019 going into 2020, especially with the onset of George Floyd, which not to to disregard all the other people who died at the hands of police, but George Floyd was kind of a major moment. It was. um, Because that was one of the things where you first started to see many people not only just say, I hear you, I see you, I'm with you. But companies, workplaces, organizations saying, I hear you, I see you, I'm with you, and I've got dollars, and we're going to change structures, and we're going to create departments, and we're going to have positions, and we're going to put money into these things. And, you know, it's not enough to be, to be against racism. You have to be anti-racist. So right. all these statements and, and cuts, that's good intent. And when something major happens, People have intent. I don't want this negative thing to happen again. I want people to be good. If you think of 9-11, everybody says now, never forget. But it seems like the further away we get, the more people forget that moment and the way we treated each other and how we looked at each other and how we were there for each other. And now we're far away from that moment. So since 2019 into 2020, I think it was a lot of that. And then moved to this facade and the reality of what people can or cannot do. This is structural and life experience, and it's decades and generations of teaching and family structures, and the way people interact and the silos that people live in and the comforts and discomforts they have with the idea of the other, whether it's the other in their neighborhood, the other in, a, in another community, the other in another country, the other that looks differently. So this facade that started to happen is 2019, 2020, 
was all this intent. Hey, I hear you. I'm with you. I see you. I want to support you. And by the way, we're going to put systems, structure, dollars, and positions in place to help it in the workplace to late 2020, mid 2020 into now where it feels like, oh, we were just joking. Yeah. We were just talking. We just want you to think that we're doing more, that we're doing better. Yeah, there's that. And there's also the part where we tried and we don't know how to do this or we don't know how to go further. Because even if you think about positions, it's the most roles that I've ever seen in a one, two year period around directors, VPs, chief diversity officers, people who are focused on belonging, equity, inclusion, most asking for years of experience and all these deep right. detail when most organizations haven't supported it. So how can you see enough people to fill those roles and fill those roles that don't have the experience that is laid out in the way that you want it? It's work. It's long-term. It's chess moves. It's not immediate. And you're not going to see immediate changes. And a lot of that is in relationships. So I think in summary, the, the facade and the intent is everybody has good intent. But when it comes to actions, Actions rely on people's confidence, comfort, and experience in dealing with those things. The more confidence, comfort, and experience we have with it, the easier it is to dig into that intent and to make it actionable and to make it real versus the facade of I don't have the actions or the intent or the comfort and the confidence to work with this, so I'm going to go into my regular day-to-day and not think about it. Right. And at a very fundamental level... There's nothing wrong with that. But when it comes to where does that leave the people that are relying on all the things that you said, and now it's gone, and they're left to still deal with whatever is left. And that, that reinforces with inequities within the community. If you think, you know, COVID, there's all these new shots with COVID. But what we're finding out is at the beginning, during the last administration, there was plenty of shots for Caucasians, for white people, but in desperate and tough areas, Alabama, rural areas, they didn't have enough shots. And usually those are BIPOC people. So I don't know necessarily, the current state right now of it is it's leaning away from the moment that helped launch it. And until the next moment, it Uh, will be kind of a faded. It's infuriating. Um, It takes the work of the individuals that care. To, yeah. to be able to keep it within and wait for the next moment to wash it off and, and make it better each time. Right. So when you think about this, like we talked about the moment, whether it for me, you know, learning about Emmett Till, for me watching yeah. live what happened to George Floyd and being just devastated, devastated as I watched it, like millions of other people that watched what was happening live. Right. So many attempts at getting past intent, many, many attempts trying to get past intent, have success with actions that have been put in place, work that has been defined, but few successes. So I want to ask you and talk to you about some of the failures that you've seen, because I think we can learn. I personally learn from my failures. So what have you seen out there that we can learn from? Oh, man. You know, a lot of people talk about the successes. They don't necessarily like to talk about the failures. I think one of the failures is one of the things we just mentioned is like not being able to work through and realize this stuff takes time and not allowing it to die on the vine. So if you think about Starbucks, Starbucks made a great intentional effort 
to close their stores and do diversity training across the board, which is a good thing. However, it happened so fast. And I don't necessarily know the structure if they used one organization to kind of deliver all the content and it was consistent. They used the same individuals or internal or a mix. But there were mixed reviews of that. And you haven't heard much issues. And, you know, instructionally, the feeling of the employees may have been good or bad, but you're seeing maybe a side effect, not completely connected. And I don't know if this is actually connected, but a side effect of, you know, there are many Starbucks stores that are starting to become unionized, you know, in, in areas of the country where they're starting to do that. I think other failures in organizations in general is that they start with these efforts and especially with the kind of the term of, you know, it's not enough to be against racism, you have to be anti-racist. Yeah. And there's plenty of people and organizations and educational centers that I've seen that have these banners and they say, hey, we support you and we are a non-racist organization, but there is no work leading to that. It's similar to company culture. It's like, hey, we want to promote our culture. We want to advertise it. However, once people get there, they're seeing it's the organization doesn't eat their own dog food. Right. And I see that a lot. Yeah. You know, it's a marketing campaign. It's employer branding at the finest, but it's not it doesn't dig in and show the real story behind what it's yeah, like. Yeah. I mean, we that's another buzzword, right? We've been talking about employer branding for over a decade. Yeah, yeah. Right. And how it often doesn't align with the actual employee experience. Exactly. And imagine that feeling as an employee when you come into an organization and you've been recruited and you've talked to the employer, you've talked to the manager, you've talked to individuals through your screening and through your process. And then you join and it's nothing, or at least in your area, at a minimum, it's nothing like what you thought or what was explained to you. So extrapolate that. And 10 times it where it's not just the organization or your role, but as a person who doesn't see anyone or doesn't see many people in your department or your area or in leadership that look like you, that come from your background, that understand your life experiences, and then to work and live in that environment. It's just an extension of that and that feeling, that emotion, that stress, that biology that you feel. And that you felt for anyone listening when you started an organization and they didn't eat their own dog food. You know, it wasn't what was advertised, the feeling of that. And then feel like that to where it's not just in the workplace, it's the people around you, the people you interact with, people not understanding, feeling gaslit, someone feeling, making you feel like something's wrong with you and feeling less of yourself. So with a lot of the failures, I think part of it is Leading from the intent into, hey, moving forward, but the the actions die and something that's more major and tied to the product or the service starts to take hold because that's how you make your money. But I think many organizations tend to, we see advertisements, whether it's employment branding or for a product or for a company, which is what makes people believe in the company and start to work there. But many employers don't think about The people they're selling to, the services they're providing are the neighbors, the colleagues, the friends, the parents, the kids of the people that work for them. Right. And all it is, is just a supply chain of that. So we're, we're as an organization, the organization and the company is selfish for profit. However, not necessarily thinking about the people they sell to. It's always, hey, the client 
and this is important, but the client is diverse. The life experiences of those clients are diverse. And it's not enough to see faces now that all these things have happened. And now that we hear you, we see you are with you. And now your employee branding and your advertising and your commercials now have BIPOC faces in them and indigenous people and LGBTQ. But the people who go in and work there, they don't see it. Or where they see it, it's concentrated in a certain area or it's concentrated at a lower level, at a lower pay right, versus right. As the executive team. I think Apple mentioned, hey, we are a diverse workforce and we appreciate our diversity. And this is not a negative towards Apple. It's just an observation and critique. You look at their board of directors and what are their board of directors like? Or you look at these organizations that now are advertising certificates in diversity, DEI and belonging, and Look at the the people teaching. Yeah. Look at the organ the, the what makes up that organization, that certification in these colleges or these organizations. And it always makes me laugh. And usually, I will respond with, "Oh, pretty diverse." Yeah. And that's people can take that how they want, but I think in order for people to feel accountable, accountability is internal and it's individual. We cannot hold someone accountable. Because if someone doesn't want to do it, they don't have to do it. But accountability is us helping call it out so people will know. So more people need to call those things out. And especially if you're not given permission, you have to do it in a way that it translates and it gets through to the other side versus they easily silence you. And that's always the challenge. It's a lot easier now because more major, there's more, you know, just like there's an upliftment around uh, mental health. Yes. You know, people don't make fun of it like they used to or disregard it as much as they do. It's it starts to be talked about as important. The same thing needs to happen and needs to be consistent around any efforts in systems, processes, people, and pay when it comes to equity and diversity of the people that represent the organization, not just the ones at the top that talk about it but don't represent. Well, let me ask you this, because we've watched, I mean, if use your Starbucks example, we've watched Starbucks attempt many, many efforts in store, right? Years ago, they had their veteran campaign where they were selling bracelets, you know, red, white, and blue bracelets at the counter, you know, and to raise money for veteran work. There, they had the, the cup that you could write something on the cup that would attempt to raise awareness about racism and their attempt at anti-racism. And at every turn, they, somebody tells them you're not doing enough. So can somebody like Starbucks succeed at this? Can they, or is it not enough what they're doing, just never going to be enough because there's still a white guy at the top. So is there ever going to be enough efforts by a corporation like Star who consistently attempts they consistently are trying to attempt to be anti-racist, to be supportive of marginalized groups of underrepresented communities. What do you think? That's a pretty big question. And it's always going to be a question that's posed because even if, you, if I just focus on the United States, we're roughly 350 plus million U.S. citizens. Right. And out of that, uh, if you think our political system, we have a number of senators and politicians that represent those, those that constituency. And all of us have different views, perspectives around what we think is right and wrong. So to ask a company or to think that any company, hey, we'll, we'll get it right or do it perfect or we'll ever meet the need where they won't 
get criticism, it'll never happen. Right. You know, just like there will never not be prejudice, racism, inequity, because it's going to happen because we are humans. And as human beings, our brains, whether we like it or not, we don't like to be boxed, but we box everybody and everything into categories because that's how our brain recognizes where we're safe. And when we need, if we need to survive, whether we fight or flight. So it's always going to be there. But I think organizations can continue to make efforts and allow and give their permission to their employees to critique. It's like James Baldwin says, and I'm not going to get the quote right, uh, completely right. But he ultimately says, is like, hey, we can agree to disagree. But when your disagreements is fundamentally against my humanity, yeah, we cannot agree. And you're just wrong. So as long as we're working towards where we, if we have disagreements, we make an argument versus having one every single time, or we can talk about our sides and work through that and actually lay out the expectations that can help. And whether it's DEI, performance, performative, the biggest thing that's missing often in any of those communication or relationships or anything is not outlining the expectations and reminding people of those things. Hey, right at the beginning. We're not going to get this right. You know, we are attempting, we want to be an anti-racist organization. We want to treat our employees better and we want our board, our executives and our population as employees to represent our community. It's going to be a long road. We're trying, we're working on it. Keep pressing on it. Right. Knowing that when you ask people to press on it, there's some people, your boot is on their neck and they're not going to want to wait that long for you to get your boot off their neck. So just working through that. Gosh, it's so... It's so hard when you consider that a lot of good has happened because of a reactive response, right? A lot of good has happened because of the the reaction post George Floyd, right? A reaction post making Juneteenth a national holiday. There's a lot of good reaction, but we have to be able to move from reactive responses into just consistency when it comes to diversity. I know that you talk about the four P's. Tell us <laughs> yeah. what your four P's are. So in my mind, in order to, we're always going to be reactive. Right. And in order to be consistent, we have to have intent to move away from the facade, kind of thinking about that theme. But in my mind, to keep it simple and to help it memories, four P's are really what's needed. When you think about DEI and implementation and working on things, it's really about thinking about the process, the pay, promotion, and practices that you have in the organization. So ultimately, I've been on panels or been with groups, and we've talked about that, and people will say various things, and they'll say, you know, what is it going to take for us to have a more inclusive organization to treat people and to have the community represented here? Um, People will say a number of different things, say more programs, more outreach. And I always, two of the number one things is pay me and promote me. Ultimately, the only way you either buck the system, change practices, is if you get different ideas and perspectives from different people with different life experiences that don't look the way you do, which means you have to pay and promote them. So on the four P's, it's like, hey, build into your processes where you pay and promote people better, and that becomes a practice. But also even outside of the pay and promotion, it's, hey, what is looking at? What is our process? If I'm recruiting individuals and, hey, we've never had these people, these people don't want to work for us, and this isn't the makeup of our engineers. Well, have you ever tried to go to a different college or access versus people coming from the same institution or going to the same institution or going to the same recruiting venues? Look at your process. Look at that. 
Think about how you pay people. Look at the bands. And also, outside of just, hey, we have these programs, we have these ERGs, we have this, pay the people that you have within your organization and promote them. Because those are the next people that become your executives. Those are the ones that potentially become part of your board, which changes the face of the organization. And you also have to look at it faster because people will use the idea around, well, either reverse racism or, hey, we just need to be thinking about the way someone does their job, their performance. Right. Well, for generations, no one's really brought that up in a heavy way when a black, brown or yellow face comes, it's always like, well, we need to pay attention to performance. But when a white face is there, nobody really, nobody has questioned in the organization, especially when all the people that represent me as a white person represent me. So I'm in my silo. There's nothing to question me. I kind of elate it to if I am a CEO, there's only a certain number of layers that I have over me. And that's the stockholders or the stakeholders in the organization and the board. And depending on my board, I have complete control. I meet with them every once in a while, but it's not like a traditional individual contributor or middle-level manager relationship. But anybody below me, I can tell them what they need to do all day long. So the more and further away I'm apart from the process, apart from including people in those practices to change remote pay, and if I don't have to pay attention to it and I don't have people around me questioning or changing my mind, and they're just reinforcing my own ideas... I won't ever see that other side. I won't see that people are being paid and promoted. I won't see that the individuals we have in the organization do or don't. And a prime example is healthcare institutions. If you look into a hospital, you can just look at the levels from aides to nurses, to doctors, and administrative and executive staff. The face of the organization changes as you move up the pay so from hourly to exempt and from individual contributor to executive. You will see the face change yeah, and it becomes less brown, less black, less yellow. And for me, it's mainly about representation. As long as in your process, your pay, your promotions and your practices, as long as you have representation and you represent your community so you can provide that service and that product in the right way, while knowing that the people that work for you also are either promoters or receivers and consumers of your product. Then you have a better wheel. You have a better supply chain and system that will get the right things done versus it being heavy on one side, regardless of what the side is. It's dumbfounding to me that we just continue to try and tell or say, this is what we need to do. But the consistent revert back to fishing in the same pond. I mean, if we go back to the yeah, just the yeah. basics of I'm comfortable in this pond, so I'm going to fish in this pond. It's frustrating because when you outline those four P's, process, pay, promote, practice, and we can see the failures around us and an organ- it'd be very easy for an organization to look at that and determine this is where we need to improve each of those four areas, right? How do we do that? How do we get past that, I mean, it goes back to the beginning where intent versus facade. You have to do. You have to do. Yeah. And when I've done any type of category of diversity training, regardless of what someone thinks is in that category, whether it's, you know, unconscious bias or basis of equity and inequities or, hey, just diversity, you know, and belonging. 
I always try to start in a place not of an academic, not of a social justice person or someone who is diehard and believes in this, which I do. But as a person, okay, if we start with empathy, we got to understand that not everybody understands this stuff. And usually people know less than the people who are really dedicated to it. So you got to build bridges. And in order to build bridges, you got to have empathy. In order to have empathy, you got to understand where people are coming from. So knowing when you are doing diversity efforts, that usually starts with some type of conversation, engagement, relationship, or training if you're doing it formally. And you get in work, you get a lot of people who I can't wait to talk about this. And the people in the middle, I don't really know much about this. And I'm not sure about this. And the other people like, why are we talking about this? Why can't we just do work? So you get all these people in the room in your organization, and then you're going to deliver content or an idea or focus when their minds are in a bunch of different places. Right, right. And before you can get into the tough conversations, the loose conversations, or even the basic conversations, you got to build a bridge and you got to use things that are common to everyone. So if you think about as a human being, we are all selfish. Every human being is selfish. We care about ours and our own. And that's part of the brain. That's how, and, and getting that analogy of like, hey, what are the basis of how we all interact? Our brains do this. It doesn't matter what side of the country you're on, where you're from, what your life experience, as, as a biological level, your brain has these things and react in this way. So how does that react in your life experience? So we all have different life experience. And then you just start talking about things without labels, without emotions. Like, hey, what is this important to you? What's your value? And then once people can kind of get with that and talk, then you see, hey, can you see how some of these change when we think about the idea of work and pay, when we think about the social norms and non-norms, when we think about police shootings, when we think about school shootings, when we think about the way an LGBTQ person is treated versus any other person within your, your workplace. What are the differences and how the feelings and how can I be empathetic and understand, hey, I've been there too. I've just been there in a different way. And that you start there and then you build a bridge to talk about the tougher issues. And when you start talking about that, then it becomes more comfortable or at least, you know what, I may not be there, but I understand it. And I use an analogy kind of like this when someone like, for example, when people kind of put down Black Lives Matter or they put down some of the things that have happened over the last couple of years and dismiss, dismiss it. I'll say, well, let's think about this way. If you woke up one day as a majority person, a a white person, and you turned on your TV and all of a sudden the only faces you saw were Hispanic. Every once in a while, there'd be a white person peppered in there, knowing your favorite shows in the commercials, and then you eat some cereal on the box. There's nobody on there that represents you. Then you go to work, and you go to work, and you're seeing, and there's barely anybody that looks like you. And then you go out to a mall or out to uh, shopping, and everywhere you walk, the people either working look a certain way and don't look like you, or in the movie theater, no one looks like you. How would that change your mindset? Would that be comfortable or uncomfortable for you? Would that be a norm or numb? Would you see yourself as colorblind and not noticing it? Or would there be a difference? Would that be the norm for you? So imagine that in one day and then put yourself in a place of a person and think about your community the way it is and how they live their day every single day. I have a colleague of mine and they speak multiple languages. 
and they're Hispanic. They speak Spanish, but they speak in multiple languages. And they said, can you imagine, do you understand how frustrating it is for me to have to translate what I'm thinking before I even say it? And I speak, I may not speak as well as you do, but I speak more languages than you, even if it's just two. And you're telling me speak English. Right. (laughs) So if we can build bridges, understand, hey, where are all the commonalities? And then we could build that bridge to talk about all the tough stuff. We, we have easier conversations, but they're a lot more heated. And I think it's, it's also tough because diversity is more popular and it's more, I think it's kind of like colonized a little bit too, because people are using it and taking the terms and using it in, the, in their own way. Right. when they haven't lived that experience or been under those pressures or woke up every day to where everybody around them, they will go to work where nobody looks like them. They go in out in the community where no one looks like them. They haven't had that experience. But then when someone says, well, that's reverse racism or that's reverse <laughs> prejudice or why don't I have a spot and that person's taking my spot. It's one of those things where it's just kind of a gas, another form of gaslighting yeah. and trying to degrade your emotions, your true feelings around something. It's someone crying about a pinprick when someone's been stabbing you all your life. And they're like, no, this, why are you hurting me? You're hurting me. And you've got scars from those guys all your life. And you've learned to live with them because the system you live in doesn't give you permission to complain about a pinprick. So we got to start there and it's going to take time. And it's going to take the people that are willing to put in the work and be a little bit more selfless to where they're not going to be like, well, what about me? And well, I face same thing too. It's more of like, help me understand. Rayanne, I, I know that we may not see things the same way. And I can venture to say that politically, I don't agree with you. Or emotionally, I haven't had that experience. Yeah, I don't understand. Can you help me understand? Because if I'm wrong, I want to know I'm wrong. Help me understand where I may be wrong. And then just listen and talk about it. That's been the key thing for me is the listening part. Sometimes yeah. you just have to shut up and listen right? And everything that you've just shared in the last few minutes points directly to that phrase. And I don't know who said it first. Maybe some of our listeners can come to me or I will, I will look it up before, you know, when I publish this is that equality feels like oppression to those who have been used to privilege their whole life. Oh yeah. yeah. Right. And that's the bottom line behind all of this. We wouldn't need any of this, if we truly understand equality and equity, what the value of inclusion and why it's important to get to that place of belonging. Because if belonging doesn't happen, then you weren't doing the first three things right. So you touched on this in the beginning of our conversation. I want to wrap up with it. Yeah. And then I, I've got the our final things to share. But <laughs> it's impossible for somebody to have 10 to 15 years on their resume as a DEI expert or, you know, somebody who specializes in diversity, because like you said, this is a new label in the last two to three years. So that we see more of it on LinkedIn. I, I liken it to 10 years ago when the, the hot title was data scientist. Remember, that was the hot yeah, title on LinkedIn yeah. that had never been around before. So what do you tell clients or friends or organizations that you're working with when they say we need somebody with 10 years of DEI experience. What do you tell them? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I just had a conversation with 
uh, a couple of people and one person was looking for a senior level DEI person, a VP, another person was looking for a director, and then the you know, chief diversity, equity, inclusion officers. And one of the people I talked to were talking, and I said to them, I was like, you gotta understand all these positions are being posted. And I would have hoped that they agreed with me. And I said to them, I hope you agree with me that that we've probably seen a lot more than we've ever seen ever. And you're going to find some people, but don't be so strict to the requirements when you know most organizations haven't been dedicated to the requirements, haven't reinforced the requirements, haven't put in systems, programs, or allowed multiple people to have these experiences like sales or like operations. There is a career path, whether it's outlined or not, within those types, because those are usually the core that tie to the product or the service that an organization does, a company does. So when you're looking for individuals, be open to their experiences and see what they can do in the area at the same time looking at their experiences. Because many colleagues and consultants that I know or those who have worked in this area, it's kind of like individuals who are, end up in human resources or thought to be in human resources. Probably 80 to 90% of the people that you know, that you talk to or you meet, it's not like they grew up wanting to be a human resource generalist or an HR director. Nobody really wanted to be that. They kind of either found their place in that area or were pulled into that area because of a certain type of expertise or were in a major area and then got into that. So the same thing is with usually those who have experience with DEI, many of us, We've been doing it a long time. We've been doing it un- that have not had the title. Yeah, it's not been documented as you know as yeah. DEI work. Exactly. So as you're outlining this, hey, outline what you need. It's like, hey, we'd like this. Don't be so strict on the number of years of experience, but in the depth, the knowledge, the care, the confidence, and the relationships that that person can build to be able to reinforce, support, and get people involved in the programs or the initiatives that you want. That's really what you want because in DEI, it's not something people have to do even if you project, because it's not a routine. It's not reinforced as much. We're not years from it to where five years from now we can say, hey, it's reinforced a little bit more. It's still in the beginning stages. So when you want someone to be able to build relationships, have expertise and knowledge, be able to talk to different people from different walks of life to bring them around around those things and also understand, hey, the power of moments. Because let's not forget what brought a lot of this and made it more popular and made more people say, hey, we're going to create positions is that a, that a black man died and many black men before him by the hands of police died and were murdered. So the moment is what brought it up. So you can't forget the moment and just talk about diversity as if we're just belonging and hey, the idea around diversity to me as a person is that we all have unique experiences and differences. No, the reason why a lot of it has happened and people are asking for this is because someone died and they realized there was an issue and a problem and they realized it was systematic. And many people realize it's tied into the inequities in our understanding, our microaggressions and our unconscious biases. So let's use that as a, as a launching pad, but also understand that we need to, hey, 
How do we create areas where people can belong from different experiences? How do we understand all different perspectives, those of disabilities, those of indigenous people, those of LGBTQ, because those are also individuals and groups that have not been focused on when you talk about diversity. It's usually race versus we have a lot of challenges when it comes to disability, kids on the spectrum of different challenges that people face that aren't necessarily accepted and we still aren't accepted. So I think with positions, I always start out with, Hey, when you're thinking about this, yes, if you need this amount of experience, explain it, but focus on the experiences that someone has and how they can push those programs forward and how they can bring people together. Because ultimately it's about building those relationships so people can understand so they can relieve and um, shed some of their unconscious biases, but also knowing that, hey, some of this stuff is part of the brain and I may not be able to shed it very quickly. So it's going to be long-term work. It's not going to be, we've got a master plan and in the next 12 months, this is what we're going to do and we're going to see results in the six months after. No, you're going to fail a lot and get a lot of people not wanting to do it, but make sure that you support that person because chances are, just like all the others, they're the only person. So that's important to realize. And that's what I tell people on a regular basis. Okay. One last question before we wrap up. Does the person holding that formal title as DEI executive or expert in an organization need to be a person of color? I think whoever you bring into that role needs to be someone that represents the community that you serve and that is different from the majority of what you have. Because every organization is different, right? right? From my life experiences and from uh, some of the challenges and frustrations I've had, especially over the last two years when I've seen some of these things and seen these programs and organizations in the faces, is I would rather have someone be diverse and look with the experience rather than starting with someone with the experience that is just like everybody else. Yeah, that makes sense. Because there are blinders that that person may have. I know the most well-meaning people, the most well-meaning people. And Martin Luther King has a quote. It's like, we are not afraid of the racist or those who are prejudiced or those who beat us or or brow us and hurt us. It's usually those who are well-meaning that do the most damage. So you can be well-meaning, you have the experience, you can have the understanding. But I say in any organization, regardless, the safe start is to look at someone who doesn't who represents the community that you serve, but also is not the majority, matches the majority of what your organization has. Because already starting there, it's it's going to push. So that's my thought. Perfect. Okay. So do you have any resources, books, podcasts, movies that you can suggest that our listeners watch to help them uh, understand a, a little bit more? I'm a podcast person. I'm a okay. huge podcast Good. person. So Throughline is one of my favorite. It's an NPR-based podcast, okay. Throughline. And what they do, I would recommend that to anyone. And the whole uh, theme of it is, is what they do is they explore moments now, whether it's political, whether it's focusing on social issues or major, uh, major types of events. And what they do is they go back to where it may have started. Like with the Ukraine war, they went like 40 years back wow. with the oil embargo, the oil issues, yeah. they went back. When COVID happened, they went back to our ideas around vaccines and viruses. With 
a number of things that are happening within school boards and this idea of curriculum and diversity for and against, they went to the source of how that started to happen. So whether it's generations back or just five years ago, they will take a major moment and talk about all the history of what may have led to it. And it's a really interesting podcast. They explore a lot of different things. I would suggest that it's called Three Line. It's an NPR-based broadcast. And I'm a big movie buff, but I can't think of one movie. Okay. I'll throw yeah. one out there, Devotion, that's coming out. I think it premieres November 23rd. But it is yeah. about diversity in the Navy. You'll just have to watch. I'm excited for it yeah, to be yeah, released. Yeah. I just heard yeah, about it. Yeah. And then, of course... We have Wakanda Forever that's coming out soon. So that'll be a big, joyful celebration again. Tell me, how can our listeners reach out to you if they want to connect with you? Is it best through LinkedIn? Yeah, yeah. You can reach out to me through LinkedIn. It's Benjamin McCall. All my social media handles are the same. Benjamin McCall um, overall. So you can reach out to me there. And if you have a need for your organization, either in the areas that I mentioned earlier, consulting, training, DEI or coaching and you want to explore that or talk about, you can feel free to reach out to me and even just to just talk shop because I think it's important to have those conversations start out and that's where it starts. Like this, uh, like this conversation. Thank you so much, Benjamin. What a pleasure. I know we've been trying to get this recording done for a while. So I'm so happy. Yeah, I'm so happy we were able to connect. Thanks again and tune in for the next HR Latte soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of HR Latte. This podcast is brought to you by Never Enough Media and is produced by host Rayanne Thorne Kruger. Our editor is Igor Kuzmanovsky and Dick Delecki as our announcer. With featured music, Grab a Coffee and Go by Tiny Music. Special thanks to those who have made HR Latte possible over the years with their ideas, support, and feedback. 